Welcome to the OSMA Talks podcast series, hosted by Oklahoma State Medical Association President, Dr. Larry Bookman, MD. Hello, and welcome back. Over the last few months, I've been conducting a series of interviews of Oklahomans who are leading the effort to reverse the downward trend in Oklahoma's health outcomes. In this episode, my guest was State Representative Marcus McIntyre of Duncan, Speaker McCall's choice to be one of the leaders of the healthcare working group. That panel examined the need for an Oklahoma-specific plan to expand access to health care and increase coverage of uninsured Oklahomans. This is my interview with Representative Marcus McIntyre. I want to welcome everybody back. OSMA has a regular attempt to inform the public as well as the physicians of Oklahoma. And the biggest topic in the state today is about Medicaid expansion and health care access for all Oklahomans. Rural hospitals are having difficult time. We need to make changes. We are honored to have Representative Marcus McIntyre from Duncan uh, here today, who is the co-chairman of the legislative group that is working on an Oklahoma plan to try to get us better health care coverage and better health care. Thank you for being here. You're I welcome. appreciate you Thank taking you the inviting. time. Thank you for inviting me. We know that there's a petition out there talking about federal Medicaid expansion, a plan that the federal government has that has strings attached. We know that you've been working on an Oklahoma plan for some time now. You worked on it last year as well. Tell us what the difference is between those two and which one you see as the best fit for Oklahoma. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, so I call the ballot initiative straight up expansion is what I call that as opposed to the Oklahoma plan uh, where we would utilize waivers to do uh, many of the same things, cover the same population, but it's just a more tailored fit for what our state needs. So with the straight up expansion on the ballot, uh, that is actually a, actually a constitutional amendment. So we will have you know ACA Medicaid expansion in our state constitution. I think that that's suboptimal for a number of reasons. The first thing is if, if the feds decide to change rules or, or whatnot, we have to abide what the feds say goes, what they say goes. Uh, whereas if we did an Oklahoma plan with waivers, we would, not only would it be tailored toward our state, we would have the ability to be more nimble and adjust. So let's say the federal uh, federal uh, people, uh, those in power change the rules, new administration, whatnot, they change the rules. Well, we have a way to petition for another waiver. And so we can not necessarily skirt the rules, but maybe we can waive them. And under the current ballot initiative, we would not be able to do that. And so I think it's extremely important that voters know, uh, because I mean, first of all, just me personally, uh, we have to increase access to care. It's one of the main drivers of our low health rankings. So we have to increase access to care. Um, so I've been on record saying that we need to do that, but doing it in a constitutional way is not the correct way. Doing it in a waiver way, uh, 
would uh, it would just be so much better for the state because uh, I've mentioned this a number of times. I can talk about this in my sleep. <laughs> I talk about it so much, but. Uh, the straight-up expansion is just a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter approach where with waivers uh, we can amend those, we can do whatever we want and uh, still cover the, the, the population we want and get the outcomes that we want. Everybody wants to know what they're paying for is going to have an outcome attached to it. So uh, we, we just want to get better care, better health, at a better cost is what we're looking for. With the Oklahoma plan, there's been certain arguments that it would not cover everybody that it would not cover all of Oklahoma if you look at 138% of the poverty line um, do you feel that it would number one and number two there's also been concern that the numbers may not be accurate the number has been thrown out of 200,000 approximately and I read an article recently that talked that it really is going to be more like 400,000. And can Oklahoma afford that? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack right there. So let's, uh, let me go first of all to say that an Oklahoma plan, if, if, if we were to do it um, in the way I want to do it, it would cover up to 138% of the poverty level. So you would have the traditional Medicaid population and you would have an expansion population from the 100 to 138% of the, of the poverty level. I think, uh, not even I think, I know Utah's tried to uh, petition CMS for a partial expansion where they wanted to go up to 100% of the poverty level of able-bodied people. Uh, CMS said no. So it doesn't seem to be that they're, it seem like they are interested in uh, a partial expansion. By partial expansion, I mean a partial population. They want up to 100, so it's 133% of the poverty level with a 5% disregard. So it's practically 138% of the poverty right. level. So uh, that's what they want to see. And so if, if we do it right, uh, you would see increased access to health care in that 100 to 138% because we just wouldn't get a partial through. Um, so there's that. Now to the number of people. So there's a, 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 a report called the Levitt Report. It's out there. You can you can find it. I think it was commissioned by the Healthcare Authority. So the Levitt Report shows that of the uninsured that are out there, there's like 650,000 people who are not. Excuse me. There are 650,000 people eligible. We know that 400,000 of those people already have health care insurance through their, through their work, right? Or they may be on um, an exchange plan. So that leaves us with about 220,000 people who uh, would qualify, be eligible. And so, you know, if you read the Levitt report, on one page it'll tell you, show you that 650 people uh, would qualify, but if you turn the page, you will see that 400 and so on thousand people already have, they're already insured, they, they still qualify, uh, but they're already insured. And so that's where we get the 220,000 number. And I, I frankly, people spouting the 650,000 number um, are, you know, using rhetoric. One of the arguments, and I've actually read the Levitt report, which is, um, there was a report from several years ago, um, and the problem is, is that of those 600 plus thousand, 400,000 would be eligible and could change 
And why wouldn't they change if this was going to be provided for them? Well, employers, first of all, get some tax uh, advantage for having a plan. Uh, we're just not seeing that in other states. Now, what we, we, we have seen is people migrating out of the exchange, you know, but they're going to have to anyway because they're in that 100 to 138%. Wow. So we do see those people migrating over into the, the uh, Medicaid uh, expansion population, but we're not seeing it from uh, from the provider healthcare, and that's probably because uh, a business they have people of multiple income brackets, and if uh, if we saw a big migration out, it could affect their their ratios on uh, participation rate and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we just haven't seen that happen with the Oklahoma plan. Insure Oklahoma, which is an existing plan right now, which is a partnership between business, etc., and insurance, um, and and the participant, would be still utilized in the Oklahoma plan, as I understand it. Do you think right now there's a very small number part of Insure Oklahoma, less than I think twenty five thousand? Would there be an expansion on Insure Oklahoma? It depends. I mean, it depends what the original, our original Oklahoma, Oklahoma plan used Insure Oklahoma. We expanded it and then did a subsidy. We were mm-hmm. going to do a subsidy subsidy for those people in the 100 to 138% of the poverty level. Um, there's there's so many ways that we can skin this cat. It's, it's really uh, kind of mind-boggling. So, I mean, we could do that. We could go a different route. Uh, that's yet to be determined what this new okay. Oklahoma plan will look like. And we're going to get to the legislative group here in a minute, but a couple of other questions. One, everybody talks about formal Medicaid expansion, the federal government's plan, and that if the federal government were to back out, and some have said that they have in the past with other plans in 65-35 instead of a 90-10 match, could a sunset clause be added if we went the formal Medicaid expansion? Well, it could if it was in the if it was in like let's. I don't want to confuse people on. So you've got the straight up ballot expansion. If we did it that way, uh-huh. no, okay. we cannot put that on there. However, if we do it through waivers, we can. That's an important point. I yeah. think that people need to understand because without that, you're not nimble. And if the federal government were to back out, the state could be having to pay a lot more than they expected to pay. Yeah, I think so. I think the main concern you would have on the federal side is, I mean, the the amount of spending on Medicaid. I mean, it's one of the most popular programs uh, in the nation. The spending on it is on a trajectory like this, and so there there's going to be a, a giving point at some point, a breaking point, and. I would think the first place they would do, or the first place they would change would be in that matching rate to save money quickly. And if they do that on the ballot, um, it would we would be stuck, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would have inertia take over and we would be stuck there. But with the waiver, we could, we could quickly amend that waiver to um, address the change in match. One of the things that I hear all the time is people uh, using the term Medicare expansion because they hear in the federal government 
with all the debates, et cetera, Medicare for all, and we hear at the state level Medicaid expansion. Can you differentiate Medicare for all from Medicaid expansion and which one's best for Oklahoma? Okay, so Medicare for all uh, would be healthcare for every individual and it would be government subsidized or government um, controlled care. Single payer. Yeah, single payer. Uh, the, the Medicaid expansion, what that is, is you're taking a certain needy segment of the 100, 100%, 100% of the federal poverty level to 138% of the federal poverty level. So it's a smaller group and you are helping them out because they are um, at risk for health problems and, and all kinds of stuff because they're not covered now. Um, so that's the main difference. I mean, one is everybody gets health care. The other one is, uh, well, you can have health care, but for this certain population, this 100 to 138% of the federal poverty level, um, we're going to get, give them care. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Um, and, and I think that it's important that all Oklahomans understand that Medicare for all is different than Medicaid expansion. Medicaid expansion may not cover 100% of the whole population because if somebody decides not to have insurance and they're well over the 138%, that's their, that's their deal. That's their right. Mm -hmm. So where Medicare for all would be the same thing for everybody and the billionaires would get Medicare, theoretically, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the poor. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that, that we see in Oklahoma especially is the rural health care system. The rural hospitals having a very difficult time. Many have closed. People talk about Medicaid expansion, preserving the rural hospitals. What do you see as the role of Medicaid expansion? Will it help the rural hospitals? And will it allow physicians to stay in Oklahoma or even be able to recruit to Oklahoma better to the rural areas? So, um, okay, so let's first talk about, you know, this rural um, hospital problem that we have. Uh, I think that this expansion population would definitely help. Will it save all the hospitals? Maybe not. I mean, there are all kinds of management variables and in in, in in financial, you know, aspects like debt, service, and things like that, that that Medicaid expansion just won't do. But we do know that rural rural areas do have a higher disproportion or higher proportion of Medicaid um, clients, and so there would be a higher portion of those in, in the 100 to 138% of the federal poverty level as well. So what that would do is if those people had care, access to care, uh, first of all, they have access to care now, but they use ER and the hospitals uh, don't absorb that cost. They pass it on to, you know, private pay people, private pay uh, customers. So what, what it would do, it, was, it would alleviate the pressure on the hospitals from that uncompensated care aspect where somebody's coming in to get care, they're not, they don't have any insurance and they can't pay the bill. And so the hospital, in essence, eats that and then spits it out on everybody else in the private pay world. So uh, it will, I think it will actually decrease the cost of care a little bit. 
because you are going to have more people being able to pay uh, through through Medicaid. Is managed care one of the possibilities under the Oklahoma plan? And do you think that that will help to decrease costs or will it increase costs? Well, isn't that the $900 million question? Uh, so I think managed care in some form, probably in, if I had my way, it would be in, the, in a value-based type model that would be slowly integrated to let providers get used to it. Um, and probably at the beginning only have upside. Uh, but I do think that the taxpayers wanna know how their money is being spent and are they getting any, getting value for their money? Um, so, what was the second part of that question? Will it increase or decrease costs? Um, you know, that's that's a big question too because I, on one hand, I can see it increasing costs. You've got to pay some private provider, a private insurance uh, carrier, to manage your Medicaid population for you, which they do that not for free. I mean, that's, it costs money to do that. I think in the first two years, you would see um, probably pretty good potential savings. But after two years, I'm not so sure. One of the problems is, is that we know that healthcare has become the single biggest uh, cost for the G uh, compared to the GDP. And we can't continue on this um, a climb that we've been on for the cost of healthcare. Do you see anything we're doing that's going to help control costs as well as keep access at a maximum? You know, it's a really complicated question. Um, I mean, that's the goal. The goal is to get better value and value comes in less cost to the state. And, and better quality of care. I mean, you hear me all the time, better health, better cost, uh, better better health, better care, better cost. Um, I say that all the time, that's what we're after. And, you know, unfortunately, Dr. Buckman, there's not a silver bullet. And um, we've had this big, uh, every, you know, 37 states who have actually expanded Medicaid, and even the ones who haven't, have been doing these experiments, trying to figure out how can they control the cost of care. And I just don't know if we can completely, well, we, I know that we can't completely control the cost of care at the state level, but I do believe that, and I mentioned this today in the work group, that states are going to be the innovators in healthcare, um, not not the federal, I mean, the at the federal level, they're pretty paralyzed with what they can do, um, but the states are going to lead the way, and so we're going to try a lot of things, and you know what, we're going to get a lot of those wrong, and um I don't know. I mean, like I said, there's no silver bullet. We hope that we can control cost, um, but you know, I wish I could be more assertive and on it, but I, I just really can't. We 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 hope we can. So you had a great segue just then into the legislative group. Um, for those who don't know, the legislative group is a bicameral, bipartisan group uh, uh, that. Both the governor, the uh, uh, speaker of the house, and the Senate pro tem have um, asked, um, I guess, appointed uh, certain people, of which Dr. McIntyre is a co-chairman, and it is to come up with a process, a plan for better health for Oklahoma. 
Unfortunately, you also have the petition that we talked about. And do you think that this group can come up with a plan and get it through the legislature so that we have law before the signatures are turned in for the petition? That is my dream. Uh, I know. That's all of our dream. And, and And we support that. But... You know, we also know that we need federal dollars. Yes, we do. I mean, time value of money on this thing every day is just mounting. First of all, uh, Dr. Bookman just called me Dr. McIntyre. I don't oh. want everybody to know <laughs> that I am not a doctor. Um, Sorry. So, no one. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Um, do I, I do believe that we can. Okay. I do. Uh, can we get it done before, before? the about the signatures have to be dropped i don't know um but i do think that we're making good progress as work group um we will be in the next you know three or four weeks we will be handing our recommendations to the governor um and the ball will kind of be in, in governor stitt's um, court and so uh just knowing where he is we're i think we're going to get a really good look at where he is in early october and if he is at the same place or close to the same place as we are, I think we can do it. I really do. I think we can do it. And and I will say, from what I know, things are progressing, and it's pretty exciting. I'm sure you're aware. Um, I served on the governor's health transition group. I was, I was uh, there with you, that's at least right. for a couple of them. That's right. And we turned in a report that talks about all these same subjects, access, rural health. Uh, We also talked about how to measure, what to measure, because outcomes are the only thing that's important here. You can have all the access if you don't have quality Mm -hmm. outcomes, you're wasting your money. So with that report already having been given to the governor, what's gonna be different about the legislative group's report and what outcomes are you all going to look at? Well, okay. So first of all, um, measuring outcomes in the state is has never happened. <laughs> um, so we, we, we don't have a health information exchange. We have a couple. They don't communicate. The uh, Department of Health has spent I don't know how much money, um, and I don't want to throw them under the bus, but they've spent a lot of money trying to bridge or trying to make these two health information exchanges communicate or way they can they can compile the data or whatever. And that hasn't, that hasn't happened. So I told, I said the other day in a uh, thing at OSU, I was speaking of Project Echo there, and I said, we're running around like 150 blind mice because we don't have data. Case in point, the Department of Health talked about the um, cost of smoking how much it costs healthcare or how much it costs the state, uh, you know, when people smoke in their healthcare related costs. And I looked at this, you know, the, the footnote and it had a website on there that wasn't Oklahoma data. So I said, where's our Oklahoma data? And sheepishly, they said, we don't have that data. Well, that's, it's just kind of crazy to me. So the first thing um, that we will, be doing is instituting a, a single statewide HIE and a health information exchange HIE. And so we can have actual measurable data. Uh, it's crucial. 
because we can't do anything apart from that as far as measuring what we're doing. If we don't, if we don't do that and we increase access to care to 138% of the, of the poverty level, we're just going to be throwing away money because we won't be able to know what's going on. So that's the first thing that, that has to be done. And I'm pretty sure that's in the works. That was part of the report, and actually I was the chairman of that subcommittee, um, so I'm very knowledgeable about what there is for a health information exchange, the lack of knowledge, the lack of information, and most importantly, the lack of communication. Mm -hmm. That's what's really lacking. Let me let me address some other things. Sure. Because uh, the work group that you were appointed to and I was appointed to, which I didn't get to go very often because I was in session, uh, but the work that you all did in that are, is crucial to what we're doing. We're not operating um, in opposition to that report. It, it's really informing us on the decisions we're making in the work group. And if you will notice the type of the people that we've had in that work group, we had to lay some groundwork the first week, uh, but you will see that we're incorporating a lot of that. So your work wasn't in vain. Um, That's good to hear. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't in vain. And you guys in that work group were talking about some really next level, high tiered stuff that I don't know if the legislature is ready for. I don't know if the governor's ready for it, but it's something that we're looking at implementing down the road. Uh, but and a lot of them are just really good reform ideas. Uh -huh. I mean, um, it's kind of ridiculous that we have Medicaid money coming into the state and it's going to upwards of seven agencies. Well, I mean, so you've got Medicare Advantage waiver money, Medicaid money over in DHS, and then you've got money over in mental health, and then you've got money at the healthcare authority, you've got some at the State Department of Health. We really need to get that all under one roof. And I think that was one thing that you Absolutely. guys talked about. And so I think that's one of the reforms that I think that we have to do. Um, it, it, I see it not daily, but at least once a month when you have a pretty, pretty severe, severely disabled child and they need special care and they may have, a, they may have some mental issues as well um, as disability, as well as health issues, as well as schooling issues, as well as all, and it's all kind of combined. But then you're trying to figure out who's going to take responsibility for this child and who in the state is going, which agency is going to pay for it. And it's really a quagmire. And so if we get all those under one roof, I think it'll be a lot better, um, a lot more efficient for sure. I agree with you. Uh, that's a real important point. Yeah. Um, one of the problems in Oklahoma, going back to even rural health and in the hospitals, we know statistically that a doctor is worth almost $1.9 million to a small community. Recruiting physicians, both because of the graduate medical education, which has been helped recently financially, uh, both from the legislature, and thank you uh, for that, um, as well as um, some from the federal government now. Um, we know that we need more residency slots. But keeping those doctors in Oklahoma, and especially in rural Oklahoma, is very important. We need family docs. Do we have any plans from the legislature's side? And I will promote the Oklahoma State Medical Association. You may not be aware, but we have a resolution and have actually placed 
two physicians. I am aware. Okay, one in Guymon, one in um, Idabel. Um, the one in Guymon speaks seven languages, and we're trying to get doctors to rural Oklahoma. Obviously, we need the legislature's help in doing that. Is that part of any of the discussion that's going on? Absolutely. Workforce is huge. Um, I mean, it's, it's almost like when you talk about teachers, you know, there's a nationwide teacher shortage. There's a nationwide doctor shortage. We're not putting out enough doctors. Um, you know, if people, you know, so I work, run a lot of bills for the Physicians Manpower Training Commission, which you guys are partnered with, right. with those two doctors that you placed. Right. Um, PMTC is a is a, a not an agency I would say it's a commission and they seek to uh, bring rural doctors in, or bring doctors into rural, rural areas and uh, and OSMA has been a great partner to them Blue Cross Blue Shield also has helped with and that. And TSET actually partnered. And TSET yeah, yeah and because it's a problem and everybody knows it's a problem uh, you know I would you know I'm from Duncan and so uh, if if some of these doctors could see how these doctors are treated like rock stars in these rural communities. I mean, we have uh, new doctors come into Duncan. Fortunately, we have a great system there. Uh, but I mean, their, pic their pictures are plastered up on big billboards. I mean, they're like rock stars. So I would like to see some, some more things being done where I'll allow these doctors coming out of medical school, allow them to do some of their residency with rural doctors. So they can see what that lifestyle is like. If they don't like it, hey, it's not their cup of tea, fine. But uh, it's almost like being a rural legislator versus being an urban one. In a rural legislator, you're—I wouldn't say you're a mini celebrity, but people know who you are. In in the urban areas, uh, then not so much, not so much. But the same thing with being a doctor. Uh, so, you know, there are all kinds of incentives. We ran an incentive to give doctors serving in rural areas areas a tax credit last year. I ran that bill for Speaker McCall. Uh, we're doing everything we can. We know it's a problem, uh, but we really need a focus, a, as big of a focus on that as we do on increasing access to healthcare. Because if we increase access to healthcare, who's gonna serve them? I mean, it's all a big ball of wax, really, a big ball of yarn. You know, you bring up a very good point. Um, I'm obviously one of the older physicians now in this state, I hate to say, but when I was a medical student, we had a program. Um, and senior medical students went to rural Oklahoma and spent five or 10 weeks in rural Oklahoma with a rural physician practicing medicine. Mm -hmm. And that program, unfortunately, was discontinued because, as I'm told, both the rural communities wouldn't volunteer to have them come and the liability became a real issue. Is that something that the legislature can help with? Because that was a great program. Yeah. Well, number one, you're not old, you're seasoned. <laughs> Mature. Experience, Mature. Experienced and wise. <laughs> But second thing is, I think we should revitalize that program. I mean, revive it. Um, I, it's it's a perfect fit for what I want to do as far as uh, my role in the legislature. So um, let's work on it. Anything that we can do from OSMA and myself, I'd be happy to work on it. I think it was a great program. I think it allowed senior students 
um, to get great experience, to meet rural doctors, to see what rural medicine was like. And I know a lot of my classmates ended up in rural medicine because of that program. Mm -hmm. So, And it's not necessarily Doc Hollywood type stuff. No. Uh, no, I mean, it's uh, it's rural healthcare in a rural setting. Absolutely. Well, is there any parting words you would like to uh, say um, on any of these subjects? You know, the criticism levied, level, levied, leveled at Republicans is that, that we failed to act on this for 10 years. And you know what? It's fair criticism. It's a fair criticism. Um, this is something that I believe should have been done a long time ago. It was held up for political ideological reasons. Um, uh, you know, I'll take heat for saying this. Uh, I'm sure it'll be on a mailer someday, but I really don't care uh, because I think it's the right thing to do. As a Republican, I believe in an equal opportunity for everybody. Um, and, you know, I'm reminded of a story out of Lawton where you had a husband and wife they had a couple of kids they were both in school at Cameron University in Lawton they both worked at Brahms and um, they were on they uh, they were on their kids were on student care so they qualified he got a $500 raise because he got promoted to being the manager of that Brahms and lost the student care benefits which put them deeper into poverty and as a Republican, when you're talking about people who are working, trying to better themselves, and the system is set up to put them deeper into poverty as they're bettering themselves, as a Republican, that just goes all over me. And so we need to lift people up. And one way that we can do that is through um, offering them assistance with healthcare. Uh, it's very expensive and it does talk, cost the taxpayer money, but it's just simply the right thing to do. And so we need to put politics to the side for a little bit and focus on what's right for the citizens of our state. I know the argument out there that federal spending is going crazy, and I know, I know, but it's at the detriment that we haven't done this, it's at the detriment of our, of our citizens. And there's a lot of people, good, hardworking people, that vote red. They vote for Republicans and they need this. Well, I agree with you, and the Oklahoma State Medical Association absolutely supports the legislature's attempt to provide quality and equal health care throughout the state of Oklahoma. It's important that physicians be at the lead, that physicians are active, and that physicians are recruited to Oklahoma and stay in Oklahoma. If we are able to recruit better, the rural system will improve. Rural doctors will keep rural hospitals open, they will provide access, and everybody will benefit. That's really what we need. We need federal dollars to accomplish all this, but I agree with Representative McIntyre that this can be accomplished. And I hope that this has been helpful and informative to all the listeners out there. I look forward to the next time that OSMA talks. Thank you. Learn more at okmed.org and on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Have a question for Dr. Bookman? Email him at osmatalks at okmed.org. Okay,